Okay. Hey, everyone. So I hope all is well. And thanks again for listening. So I wanted to briefly say something about, well, about the demise of classical education. I mean, it's hard not to notice how little we now pay attention to the past, right? And in particular, to the great ancient Greek world, which is the root of the humanities. Now, some might say, well, what can I really learn from Homer and the like? That stuff's just not relevant for us today. Well, I beg to differ. I think we have an enormous amount to learn from the classical world. So, first of all, going back to ancient Greece introduces us to a world where it mattered to be able to speak well. Imagine that. A concern for speaking well. A concern for rhetorical and grammatical skill. And that mattered to them because theirs was a society where you had to actually go out into the world and persuade others of what you were trying to say and what you wanted done, especially in the assemblies. Because you were directly accountable for what you said, you had to have some substance. You had to communicate clearly. And you had to be a good public speaker. Now, couldn't we all use a little bit more of that? And then there's the philosophers, like uh, Socrates and Plato. What can they offer? Well, they can instruct us in logic and clear thinking. They can encourage us to try to subject all of our beliefs to the scrutiny of reason. They teach us to see the difference between truth and received opinion. They can teach us to poke holes in our currently awful public discourse. We can learn from the the gadfly Socrates who mercilessly probed his interlocutors instead of resorting to softball questions and political decorum. But Socrates also believed in the power of dialogue which for him was the source of all knowledge. He believed that in a genuine dialogue, two people could actually learn from each other, help each other, and improve each other. Imagine that. And let's not forget, of course, that for him, the unexamined life is not worth living. A little reflection raises our level of existence. And in general, the classical thinkers ask us to think about values, not monetary ones. Greek philosophers and poets didn't worship wealth. No, they valued character and virtue above all, not profiles and personality like we do. And they valued wisdom, not expertise. And they valued justice not the semblance or just the signaling of it. From the historian Thucydides and others, we can learn about democracy, which really the Greeks took to be nothing less than the full development and enrichment of the human character. And not only that, but for them, democracy meant everyday ordinary citizens participating in the duties of the government. It meant carrying out one's responsibilities to the city. In other words, this was a world where politics was really an overriding concern, which meant devoting considerable time and energy to civic affairs, 
to a concern for the good of the community and not just to personal aspirations. In our age of apathy and ignorance, surely this devotion and responsibility is something we can learn from. And from the tragedians, you know, Aeschylus and Sophocles and Euripides, we can learn that our actions have consequences, that we will pay for our transgressions, and if not us, down the road, someone in our family will. And so they teach the Delphic Oracle, nothing in excess. And the tragedians teach us that no matter how special we think we are, we're not invulnerable and we can never ultimately get away with things. No, the only ones who can do that are the gods. That's a privilege only they have. From Sophocles' Oedipus Rex, we learn that maybe we don't know as much about ourselves as we think. That we are a riddle that can't be solved. That Anthropos is an enigma. From Euripides and his heroine, Medea, we can learn about female oppression and how the burden of being a woman is more difficult than that of being a man and how giving birth is more arduous than warfare. And from the comedians like Aristophanes, we learn that comedy isn't benign that in fact it can be the most powerful form of critical and political commentary. Just watch the plays of Aristophanes where he subjects and reduces power-wielding politicians to the most brutal satire and caricature. From the incomparable Homer, we discover how to reveal a person's conflict in a few brilliant lines. Lines as crystalline and dazzling as the Greek sky. From Homer's Iliad, we might learn that war is absolutely brutal and just a killing field. It's a fever of bestiality. It's where bodies claw the dust in black waves of pain. It's where people are reduced to objects, the lowest form of which is the corpse. Sure, nobility and heroism and courage are important, but war is hell all the same. There's no way to avoid grieving over a son or over the loss of an entire culture. There are no winners in war. Maybe we should come to love Odysseus's longing for peace more deeply than Achilles' wrath. This is what Homer teaches us. But outside the cost of war, Homer also teaches us about the importance of action. In our age of inwardness and immobility, it's refreshing to see a world of action and vitality. A world where swift-footed Achilles and the much-wandering Odysseus don't sit around and overthink things, but instead take action and persevere and overcome and accomplish great things. This is a world where a person of true worth is, simply put, a speaker of words and a doer of deeds. And then there's Greek mythology. Let's remember that these myths aren't just a series of enchanting tales for kids. No, most of them can be described as psychological allegories that deal with the complex, subtle, 
and recurring problems of human existence. But maybe above everything else, the ancient Greeks show us how to question authority and to be confident and self-sufficient in ourselves. Whether it's Prometheus who rebels against Zeus and the Olympian gods and steals fire for humanity, or Sophocles' Antigone, who refuses to concede to her tyrannical uncle's arbitrary order by burying her brother. The impulse to question and rebel against received opinion and authority is a powerful one, and it testifies to their burgeoning humanistic spirit. A spirit that testifies to the dignity of the human being and to the marginalization of the gods. And this, of course, is what we learn from their art. Like, for instance, their statues. This art was idealistic. It was art which aspired to a finer, more perfect representation of what was actually seen, exalting the nobility and beauty of the human being and of the cosmos as a whole. So, maybe just a few things to draw from here, wouldn't you say? <laughs> 